This podcast contains strong language. Listeners, be advised. Well, you like friends and you like food. So how about friends with food with Zoe and Heather? Friends with Food, the podcast where we talk about an episode of Friends and the recipe we made inspired by the episode. We are your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Heather. And today our guest is our friend, Alana Scott. Alana is a writer and world language educator in the SF Bay Area. Say hi, Alana. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome. Thank you for being here. And we know Alana through some comedy lab, uh, comedy writing classes that we Mm -hmm. took, I guess, last summer, last winter, sometime last year. It really all blends together. (laughs) (laughs) And she is a member of our comedy writing group as well. I am. Yes, I got to meet Heather and Zoe um, during the late night talk show course through the comedy lab. Our instructor, Howard Johnson. Shout out to Howard, always. Shout out to Howard. We're Howard's hoes. He's the best. Yeah, we're Howard's hoes, exactly. Uh, Yeah, so I've had a lot of fun with these two, so I'm excited to talk with you guys about friends and food. Yay! That's what we're here for. So before we jump in, Alana, tell us about your relationship with the show Friends. Well, I definitely knew about Friends growing up, and sometimes I would catch some episodes on TV if my parents were watching, Um, but I think I kind of really understood what a great show and how amazing it was with its physical comedy and just the chemistry between the main characters later in life, Mm -hmm. Um, and my fiance is obsessed with Friends. He always said in high school that like his friends would call him Ross because he kind of looks like Ross I love that so I just you know it's natural that we watch this show together all the time now I love it and uh that HBO reunion that came out that was really fun to watch as well yeah Mm, I still haven't seen it yet which I need to see it like ASAP but yes and there was a cute little rumor about David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston (gasps) yes uh, potentially dating I've been reading that on the internet the last couple of weeks. So that was really exciting. I heard rumors that they um, basically like reconnected when they shot the special and started like texting all the time since then. So I think the, you know, friends fandom went pretty wild with that rumor and got pretty excited. Um, And I have, I did read that that supposedly is just a rumor according Mm -hmm. to someone's like, PR person but who knows who knows what the truth is the truth is what we want the truth to be right right exactly (laughs) on a break off a break yeah exactly you know maybe we can just force it you know exactly (laughs) and just pretend for us it's like when your parents want to get divorced but they just pretend that anyway maybe that's a little too dark but Awesome. So I love that. So you're saying you you grew up like not really watching it, but knowing that it existed. And then as an adult, especially now with your fiance, just like it's just on all the time or like on while like in the background. Yeah, we have it on in the background. And I, 
I remember when I did the IO comedy training, a lot of my classmates were from abroad and they would say, oh, I used to watch friends to like help me learn English, you know, wow, and I thought I that was, that. I thought that was so interesting. Um, nice. Yeah. Let us get into some cultural context for the week that this episode was aired. So the episode that we are discussing is the one where Phoebe hates PBS. It is season five, episode four. And it aired on October 15th, 1998. So um, let's discuss news headlines from that week. I had one from the New York Times. And as I've kind of discussed the last week or two, um, one thing I actually find really interesting about the headlines from that time is that they all seem really boring, which is <laughs> which especially just compared to the times we're living in now, where every single day there's like, 30 stories about, you know, just very horrible and terrifying things constantly. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, wow, that was such a peaceful time. Like, that was such a, like, mellow time. I mean, you know, there were things happening, but not quite the, like, the level of the intensity that the news is kind of hitting us with in this day and age. So the headline from the New York Times that I picked from this day was Albany to make trucks and buses pass emission tests as cars do. So this was basically just a move to kind of think about both the environment and also like public health and safety because of the emissions and air quality. Um, and so statewide New York was basically in, you know, getting ready to make truck, as the headline says, trucks and buses uh, pass, pass the same emissions standards that cars do. And I, I think they were not the first state to do so, but they joined like a small group of states that were doing that at the time. So a nice, a nice small gesture for the environment. Yes. <laughs> for the environment. something years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I thought that was interesting to just like kind of get a glimpse as to where we were in our like environmental, just like awareness of public health and safety and like environment air quality at that time. Yeah. Heather, did you grab a headline? Yeah. And um Unfortunately, mine's kind of a bummer, but I mean, I, I don't want to ignore it. And on October 12th of 1998, Matthew Shepard died. And Matthew Shepard was a young man, a young gay man oh, yeah. in Laramie, Wyoming, who was beaten and left to die in his small town of Laramie, Wyoming, because he was gay and out. And um, it was, I mean, everything about it was horrible. And the name may be familiar because, um, I mean, he, he basically was the like poster boy for gay hate and anti-gay hate. Yeah. Um, and a lot of organizations and uh, foundations started because, honestly, because of his story and because of what happened to him. Um, and then... 2000, like a couple years later, I think it was like 2000, Moises Kaufman and members of the Tectonic Theater Project created the play The Laramie Project, which mm. is famous-ish play that honestly a lot of like high schools put on. Um, I think because it's a big cast, <laughs> but it's you know it's <laughs> right. it's about it's like pretty much word for word interview style experiences of what happened and and all of that. So uh, yeah, he he was attacked six days prior and then was in the hospital and, and passed on the 12th um oh gosh mm -hmm. that's so awful yeah and and I think like 
knowing the story and, and knowing, knowing his legacy, the whole thing is no one should have to die to like make, <laughs> make right. people pass laws and things right. like that. But something that I found that was really just horrific about it that I don't think I realized was that there were like the Westboro uh, church protested his funeral and Whoa, held and wow. held signs at his funeral that just said, I mean, it had really terrible things that I won't say, but also had, there was like a sign that said Matt in hell at his oh funeral. God. That is so horrifying. That is Which so it's like, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't believe in that people believe in and that's great. Whatever. Like we are yeah. allowed to have our own opinions, but to just like, as long as it's not that one well I mean even like sure believe what you believe what you want but like don't treat other people like trash because you don't believe in the way what they believe in live and let live exactly yeah like you are allowed to have your own opinion just as that person is allowed to have their own opinion you know what yeah what he did in his life does not matter to your life right and now you're you're holding a sign up at his funeral like what the heck and I mean, that is obviously just unconscionable behavior, especially like for his family. Right. And I mean, just also that message is so horrible in general, but it's interesting that you, thank you for bringing this up, Heather. I actually, so I was 12 in 1998 and I actually do remember around this time when this happened, I was raised by a super hippie mom um, in like a very, very open-minded like values. And so I think this was probably one of the first times where I realized like that, you know, that's something that like, it's not safe to be gay or, Mm. you know, that kind of thing that like, it's actually like, it's that bad that Mm. not that I didn't know about discrimination, because I definitely did. But I think that was like one kind of like, one kind of loss of innocence around the fact of like, oh, that's how like, extreme and severe and like horrible it can be out there. Um, Yeah, heart heartbreaking that that happened in our lifetime, you know. Um, totally. Because yeah, it, it means feels it's so long ago. Sort of recent. Yeah, same Zoe. I've yeah. always I've grown up, and Heather, I think you as well. I grew up in the Bay Area, where mm-hmm. it's you hear about those things happening in our nation, and I, I definitely feel like I've just kind of been in this bubble in California. Um, yeah in the Bay Area, and, and you forget that it's not like that everywhere where there's open-mindedness, and um, and our state does have laws that are, that, you know, protect rights of more people than other states, and so it's just, what a tragedy and heartbreaking protesting at his funeral. Yeah, ah. Well, and I mean, there's also other countries in the world where like this kind of thing still happens, which mm-hmm. is really, really horrible. And I mean, you know, this stuff, this stuff still happens in our country. Yeah. I mean, there's right. still, you know, there's definitely still, yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's horrible. And luckily now there's more in place that, so that things like this don't happen. I mean, you're, we're obviously seeing the media change. We're seeing a lot more representation as yeah, far as great. Yeah. Different looking people, different personalities of people, different, uh, sexualities, genders, whatever on TV, which is so great. Um, so it is, you know, it is funny then to talk about our, 
six white straight friends right but- <laughs> i mean especially as like three white straight women or whatever right, right. <laughs> we're, we're aware of all of those things yeah um yeah yeah i mean the the privilege that we have to never have to have that fear whether it's yeah, exactly because of our skin color because of our where we're raised um you know it's but anyway, uh, uh, the the thing there have been a lot of obviously progress since that has happened, yeah. and great foundations and organizations that have come out of that and that continue to come out of that. So um, there, you know, good things came from the darkness for sure. But yeah. it's yeah, it, it's horrible. Yeah, it's really interesting thinking about that too in terms of just how like our obviously our culture has, you know, there's many ways in which things have not improved and have not changed. And there are many ways in which it has improved and has changed. And one of the big changes since then is just like the social media and the everyone having camera phones element. Like, I think there just would have been such a different, like, cultural understanding at large of, you know, it just would have been different if everyone had seen those protests and that funeral and those people all over social media, the way things are now, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it really has been a great thing for like transparency and for helping people understand like, and for helping people understand what life is like outside of the bubble. I mean, I, I haven't always, I don't live in California now and I didn't grow up there. Um, I have lived um, in a lot of really liberal places. I've lived in some less liberal places, but even for me, I think I'm a little bit more aware of outside of the bubble than some other people I know, but, um, but even I am very sheltered in that way of just like Mm -hmm. surrounding myself with mostly like very liberal people. But I think it's really helpful for people like us that do live in such a bubble. Um, you know, now there's just such more of an opportunity to see what other people are thinking, even in our own country, even not that far, even not that far away from where we live, you know, um, and so to just have a better understanding of that. Yes. I have such a love hate relationship with social media, but I have to remember that some of the positives are the activism and sharing of information that has come through, especially in the last couple of years. And, um, like I definitely, um, yeah, we've made so much progress as a country, but we have so much to go when it comes to LGBTQ rights. And I was thinking, this past year about, you know, the awareness around violence towards trans women and um, how much work we still need to do around that as a nation. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think even just talking about the social media aspect of all of this, you know, so you were even saying right at the top of this, that the news seemed so light and casual in 1998 because, Mm. because we, it wasn't as easily shared And Mm. so one, we've got limited resources because it's 98. So the the news isn't plastered all over the internet. So we're not able to find as much. And what we are able to find is pretty surface level, you know, just main headlines of not too big of a deal things, you know, like, oh, great trucks are admissions environment and things like that. Uh, But, but yeah, I, I think I'd be curious if we were obviously to look back in, 20 years at what our news looks like now versus in the future and kind of it's yeah it's all it's all very interesting just well yeah social media aspect totally and I mean it just makes the news feel like 
I love what you're saying, Heather, because it just makes me think like the news and just the information that the public is able to get at that time, so much more curated, right? Mm -hmm. So much more just like what the media outlets say you get to to know is what you know, versus now we have all this crowdsourced data constant. And I mean, I totally get what you're saying, Alana. I have a love-hate relationship with social media too. I'm what my partner calls like a power user. I'm like very on the internet, as you might say. <laughs> um, and that definitely has its drawbacks, but it also, it also does have a lot of like grassroots power. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting how the like power dynamics has, have shifted in that way over time. Definitely. And I think the biggest challenge for a generation is deciding which information to trust, you know, and do we put the same weight on like an email or a post from one of our friends as we do from like an article from the New York Times. And, you know, I think there's actually a lot of distrust around mainstream media right now, which I can understand, but I also hope that folks will think about credible sources and Totally. Yeah, I know. Science it's, it's a struggle. And, oh God, yeah. here I go. No, I'm stepping exactly. off the soapbox. <laughs> no, exactly. We we are right there with you. Well, sure. yeah, it's like we have we have access to everything. It's good to have everything, but being able to know what's legitimate, what's important, what's yeah, credible. You know, because. Yeah. You can share something that looks legit. And then when you dig into it, you're like, wait, this isn't real. This My is a bad. fake news article. Right. You know? like, <laughs> Just I, because I, it was forwarded to me in an email right. and it was typed doesn't mean yeah, exactly. It's true. Dad. It's written by like the beef lobby or whatever. Who knows? Beef uh, lobby? I don't know. Said? Don't trust that. big beef. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. actually, yes. <laughs> Let's don't get me started. Don't come for me, Big Beef. I love you. Um, anyway, yeah. Anything else on the news we want to touch on before kind of moving into some pop culture? I I found another article that I found funny. It said uh, chronic fatigue affects 183 out of every 100,000 Americans in a new mm-hmm. study by the CDC. So 183 people out of 100,000 people, (laughs) which I was like, that's not a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I must be one for sure. I was well, and then, say, and then I was the, like, I'm one and a half. Yeah. The first line of it said, adult woman most susceptible to this disorder. Oh, uh, I knew it. So I was like, great, we all. So we're the three of the 183. But it, yeah. I, it, I think there's more. I'd be curious to dig into that more because I think there's more science about it. Because I was like, I think the, I think we, this last year, every person, every person yeah. in the world has had oh my chronic God. fatigue because it's been, it's awful. It's horrible. It's all terrible. That, that's actually really interesting. I'd be curious to dig into what those numbers are now and if there's been further yeah. research on it. And especially that it says like adult women are most susceptible. I mean, talk about the soapbox. I could get on mine and rant so much about like women's health and how little it's understood. And like, we could understand it better if like, they put money and research into it but (laughs) women's health issues aren't exactly considered a priority so um I would definitely be curious to hear like what what if any further research has been done in the last like 26 years or whatever to be fair the the way they defined chronic fatigue was unexplainable long-term fatigue like aggressive fatigue that's 
comes from nowhere for yeah. like six plus months. And I was like, okay. I mean, I think we all have chronic fatigue and we all know where it comes from. <laughs> right. Because right. the world has ended. But yes, that is <laughs> impacting my productivity greatly. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's just, it, it is interesting. Totally. So yeah, so much burnout this year. Oh my gosh, seriously. So much screen time, like making our brains so tired. Well, totally. Yeah. Exactly. Zoe, I'm going to use this expression and I hate this expression, but I want to piggyback on something. Yes, do it, girl. Get on here. Uh, but yes, to uh, more research around women's health. I remember reading this really aggravating article online and it was through a source that I, I felt was like fairly credible, but just about how there has been anecdotal evidence that depression could be tied to hormonal birth control, but it's not mm-hmm. clear whether the women who, you know, said they were depressed already had depression in their genes, you oh know, God. and I just thought, well, who's benefiting from this tale that right. uh, who's making money off of women being on hormonal birth control that could potentially be making them depressed. Totally. Oh my god! Big pharma, exactly. Oh, big pharma. I, I sound all... so liberal. I sound so liberal right now. Well, and just to get even more <laughs> radical or whatever, like also, it's just the patriarchy that like leaves it to women to be in charge of like making sure that they're on birth control or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other. Yeah, thing, women but... can only have one kid every nine months. <laughs> right, like. There's another person involved and well, they can exactly. have one kid every day forever. Exactly. Like who right. needs, who has greater responsibility to like <laughs> alter their bodies, like chemistry anyway. Yeah. But exactly. side effects from men's birth control are too tough to deal with. That woman was probably already depressed. All she does is complain. <laughs> anyway well if yeah. anyone's still listening that, <laughs> yeah seriously uh, um, <laughs> listening to this podcast uh dear sorry, man i love sorry. you yeah our male, our male our <laughs> listenership has dropped like, i was like uh, viewership listenship <laughs> <laughs> audience i think it's audience <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, yes. All right. Well, perhaps it's time to move on. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> Friends with food. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about? This is not radical feminism Heather, uh, hating on people. Heather, cut that all out and turn it into our side. Like, it's going to be a lot broadcast. of editing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our, our Click on this content, link for bonus, the political side. <laughs> yeah. Our bonus content is just 25 minutes of radical feminism. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it, honestly. Yeah, I'd I'd pay for that Patreon. <laughs> Seriously. Um, okay, so and it's it feels like a really awkward transition to be like, <laughs> so uh, what song was in the top 40 that week? <laughs> but that's what I'm gonna say. And the answer is a delightful, delightful piece of music called One Week by the Bare Naked Yes. <laughs> oh, you um, just hear it and you feel it, you feel the time. I can it. like I can hear it in my mind kinda you know where you're like mm-hmm. you know some of the words and then you're like uh you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great oh, yeah a wonderful you know, just, tune you know just the right amount of the lyrics. I like vanilla it's the finest of the flavors that's <laughs> the only part I'm gonna rap I promise a wonderful song I've definitely like had the whole thing memorized at some point in time around that era of 12 to 13 so mm-hmm. I looked up the billboard for that week as well. And I also got, I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith and the boy is mine by Monica. 
Mm. And I just have this image of myself sitting on my parents' bed after junior high, like watching TRL, you know, and these music videos. And I really enjoyed that time of my life. You know, there's nothing like that now. Totally, totally. Um, I am slowly starting a playlist of all the number one songs that we discuss on my Spotify. So yeah, so far it has Don't Want to Miss a Thing. It has The First Night by Monica. And then now it has uh, One Week as well. So it's a short playlist right now, but it will continue to grow. So those were, that was the, yeah, golden days of pop music. (laughs) I don't know if I can really say that, but special place in my heart, you know, I think because of the time in my life that it came out. The movie that was number one at the box office that week was Practical Magic. Oh, which I actually don't think I've ever seen, even though I oh. love like witchy shit and magic oh, Zoe. and Sandy B. So I definitely added that to my two watch list. Oh my goodness, Diane Weiss, Stockard, Channing, Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock. Oh, my God. oh just, all stars. So good. I haven't I haven't seen it either, Zoe and Heather. I feel like both of my younger sisters are like, you haven't seen it yet. Totally. I know. I really need to watch it. To I be really fair, when yeah. I saw the title, I was like, Practical Magic. I don't think I've seen that. And then I like watched the trailer and I was like, oh, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> and yes. I can't remember. I don't really remember how it ends. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it ends fine. It's <laughs> They didn't, pro- they probably all didn't die in the end. I don't know, right. maybe. Shakespearean but, tragedy style. <laughs> uh, number one in the box office. Uh, yeah. But, but I do, um, I, I do have like, there's, it, there's very vivid images that I have that I connected to of them, like kind of dancing around in their kitchen, not necessarily in a witchy way, but in just like a family and sisterhood mm. and women way. So lovely. Yeah. Lovely. I mean, what I will say, and it's it's really interesting because like one of the things that actually bothers me about the show Friends is like how thin the women are at that time. Mm. And like in the 90s in general, like the actresses and the movie stars were so, so skinny. And I mean, like, it's not like actresses aren't skinny now. They definitely are. We have a little bit more of I'm doing air quotes like body positivity now and we're starting to learn to embrace curves. I mean, that said, it is obviously very like slow going progress. So it is challenging for me that the women were so, so skinny then. But that said, I will say that in kind of the late 90s, there was a really nice kind of like girl next door aesthetic or just like kind of an alternative girl aesthetic, like Um, The actresses kind of looked a little bit more like normal people and maybe even like a little bit tomboyish or, um, yeah, just like weren't as hypersexualized as a lot of our kind of actresses and movie stars are now. So I did like that. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. I didn't think about that, but I totally see what you're saying. And I agree. Super skinny, though. I mean, it was the era of like, you know, Kate Moss and the whole waif look and cocaine cocaine was big you know yeah totally and I mean that is it's crazy to me we haven't really talked about this too much on the show yet but like it's crazy to me that like Phoebe's almost feels like she's supposed to be like the fat one and she's like also super thin you know but like um Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox are like so thin so small it's like wild so anyway that's a little that's definitely a little bit hard for me in terms of just like standard of beauty yeah 
Oh, 100%. Did you guys make any notes of their fashion in this episode? Actually, I don't know if I did make that much notes about fashion. Did you have something, Alana? I wrote a couple things, I guess, kind of going with this girl next door look. I just, Rachel has these beautiful 90s highlights in her hair. Yes. There's this one outfit where she's wearing this maroon leather kind of shiny blazer and dark Mm -hmm. tailored jeans, black top and like a subtle red lip. And I'm just like classic. You can can still pull it off. And Phoebe has like all these rings on her fingers in one scene. It's just you know Phoebe's got her own thing going on which I love totally the one note I think I did make was um Phoebe has this kind of like starfish clip in her uh hair and just kind of has her hair in like a little bit of like a funky like do which is very like Phoebe and she's more like the quirky one or whatever before (laughs) like hipsters really became came by and like really ruined quirkiness for us or whatever but yeah totally um, should we dive into the sort of the overview and the A, B, and C plots of the episode? Yeah, let's before, do it. Before we jump in too deeply, I do not that there's much to note here, but I do want to say the Nielsen view, viewership rating oh, totally. of this week, which was as it's been holding steady, ER at the top with mm-hmm. 27.87 million viewers. Friends at 24.09 million viewers and Frasier 22.24 million views. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And we, we talked were, about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you may be saying this, but we were talking about how the World Series was on at the same time. Oh, yeah. And the, the World Series was on the list. It was just like lower down. But yeah, so it's like that's kind of what was happening around the same time as well. That's funny. Yeah, we were texting about the World Series, but it sounds like it didn't really take much of a hit out of like the Friends ratings at all, which is kind of, I guess, kind of makes sense. Different audiences. Yeah, the World Series did not interfere with the fact that people wanted to see Monica and Chandler, like what's going on with them. Right, exactly. The soap opera element. (laughs) Totally, totally. I love it. Great. Well, Heather, would you read us our summary or whatever you call it. Synopsis. There you go. That's the word. Yeah. So the synopsis is Ross finally gets in touch with Emily and they try to work it out. Chandler gloats after Rachel reveals that Monica's secret boyfriend is the best sex she's ever had. Phoebe and Joey debate if a selfless good deed exists. Wonderful. So as we've discussed, the synopsis doesn't necessarily reflect like the order in which like which plot is most important. And I will say of the episodes so far, I had a little bit of a harder time on this one parsing out which one I thought was A, B and C. So I will share my thoughts on it. I'll just put a little asterisk next to that and say, like, I have no idea. Like, all yeah. of that. I, <laughs> yeah. No, there, I was just going to agree with whatever you said, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I had a little bit of a harder time with it. I, I'm, I'll talk through my thoughts on it, and then I'm curious to hear what y'all think. So um, one thing, and I noticed this in one of the other recent episodes, and I think this is maybe, um, I mean, I think this is probably pretty common with all sitcoms but I think especially the multicam style all three plot lines really do start in the first scene it kind of like encompasses like the inciting incident for all three Mm. like threads of the show um and yeah what I 
what I kind of what when I was kind of going through this what it seemed to me is that if anything I actually think that the Monica and Chandler storyline was probably the A it -hmm. seemed like the most time was devoted to that and like you said Alana I think this was also just like kind of the most exciting like thing that was happening in the show at that time because their relationship's a secret it's kind of like you know it's the soap opera element it's kind of the most sort of scandalous and like in you know maybe exciting or interesting thing that's happening plot wise as we've discussed this show's starting to get a little bit more serialized where there is a little bit more of overarching plot and so what's going on between Monica and Chandler is maybe a big reason that people are like excited to you know see what happens this week there was a definite arc between them where Chandler finds out that Monica said her secret boyfriend is like the best sex she ever had he like does not handle it gracefully at (laughs) all he is like such a huge nerd and he gets really like braggy and weird about it and then Monica gets really like basically I almost want to say grossed out just turned off by Mm -hmm. like how he's handling it And they kind of have like a little bit of like a rough patch with that. And then they ultimately, ultimately, he basically like is vulnerable and says how he feels at the end. And then everything's smoothed out between them. But it seems like the most time and the most number of beats was kind of dedicated to that and sort of the most happened in that. Mm. And then I kind of think that the other two were sort of like almost co-B-plots. The, so the episode is called The One Where Phoebe Hates PBS, and that was definitely almost the theme of the show, was this debate between Phoebe and Joey, where Joey's like, well, every good deed is selfish, because if it makes you feel good, then it's not an unselfish good deed, because doing something good made you feel good. <laughs> and then Phoebe's like, damn it, you evil genius, and keeps trying to like <laughs> prove him wrong, which they are two of my favorite characters. They're both like very goofy and sort of whimsical and really clown-like. They have their own logic that like completely makes sense in their reality. And it's just a little bit different from what maybe our logic is in our reality. And so watching them like work through that is always really fun. Um, I love that you say that because there's even one scene where they're both standing on either sides of the table and Chandler's sitting at the table. And if you really watch Chandler's expression, they're having this, this ridiculous lo- their version of logic conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and Chandler's expression is like, what the heck are you two talking about? Like he's just looking back and forth while these people without making any sense, but are having a a perfectly rational conversation (laughs) in their own minds. Yeah. So I think it's funny you bring that up because yeah, that you just, you watch Chandler be like, what the hell is happening? It's so funny. And like one of the things that really pisses Phoebe off is Joey's like, because in the previous episode, Phoebe just gave birth to her brother's triplets, which right. is a pretty like big favor or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, um, Joey's like, well, think about you. You just had your brother's triplets. And Phoebe's like, yeah. And he's like, well, did you, did that make you feel good to do that for your brother? And she's like, well yeah and he's like well then there you go it was selfish and she's like you know he's like all people are selfish this and that and she's like are you calling me selfish and he's like well are you calling you people (laughs) (laughs) and she's like what (laughs) anyway so um 
that is a really fun kind of like, again, it's not a lot of arc in terms of story arc happens. It's more just a running sort of like joke slash philosophical like push and pull. It's basically like a game. Like there's a game that's sort of like set up between Phoebe and Joey. Um, Even though they're not necessarily interacting face to face for a lot of the episode, it's kind of more Phoebe like sort of trying to work through it on her own and like, and then Joey's doing his own thing at the, um, uh, you know, at the charity drive phone or bank. whatever the, fu- the phone bank yeah the fundraising drive so it's a really fun like overarching theme and like series of jokes for the episode and then um the sort of Kobe plot is Ross's whole deal with Emily which he finally gets through to her he comes in once again with this like really intense energy he's like calling every single person in her family trying to get through to her he finally does they finally talk we we actually haven't seen Emily at all since the first episode until now Mm -hmm. and then she's finally kind of like seems like she might be open to reconciling and Ross is like so desperate to do anything for that but basically you know first she says you need to move to London and he's like well I can't you should move here and she's like okay but you can never see Rachel again basically is her like ultimatum Um, and then of course at the end there's that really poignant scene where Rachel comes in and is talking to Ross and she doesn't know the specifics but Ross is just like it's complicated Emily really you know there's other things that she wants that I just don't know if I can do and Rachel just like just do it you love her she's your wife just give her whatever she wants not knowing that what that means is that he can't be friends with her anymore oh, such good writing that scene. so yeah and so that storyline is like a lot less jokey although there actually are still some really amazing jokes in that in that storyline um, but it's a little bit more serious and it's again a little bit more of that serialized like story arc so um so yeah it was an interesting episode in terms of it was almost an even balance between all three of those I do think the Monica and Chandler storyline kind of was sort of the most central yeah I put I put Joey at PBS slash the selfless good deed as my a Mm -hmm. but then I was kind of like "Uh, I don't know (laughs) it was a pretty even split honestly Yeah. yeah I put um the Emily and Ross and Rachel thing as my a and I've my justification is that that's how the episode ended with yeah. you know mm. this yeah this whole Rachel and Ross thing happening but yeah I totally see the the justification for Monica and Chandler too I mean that's for me that's what I was watching the most <laughs> right right well and in a way I love that we all three have a different one yeah felt like the a story so that yeah. is a perfect basically they were very very evenly split which kind of makes sense in an ensemble show yeah know? interestingly I really saw the least of Rachel in this episode mm. I was thinking that too until the last scene yeah I was kind of like we haven't really seen like, a lot of Rachel and then she came yeah. into Ross's apartment because yeah. they're gonna go see a movie or whatever and I was like oh yeah what, she hasn't been in this really at all totally and it was interesting because like a few episodes ago there was one where like we didn't see Phoebe much yeah. so it is interesting I mean it is having like a true ensemble cast where there really is no like one person that's a protagonist it is pretty evenly split amongst the six and I mean I wonder on a technical note too if like she was busy shooting something else that week or <laughs> well whatever, and you also you think know? about it like a lot of the times storylines I mean, even with this, everyone's paired off. So it's it's Joey and Phoebe, it's Monica and Chandler, and it's Ross and Emily. And, yeah, exactly. and Rachel is kind of not as big a part of that storyline until the end mm-hmm. when she unknowingly 
tells Ross to stop hanging out with her. So I I think often they get paired off or they get kind of sectioned off with each other. And that's just kind of how the cards landed this time. Yeah. And it is a very, and again, like, especially it's so evenly split into the three storylines. And then it really is like two, two and two, except for the Ross storyline is mostly like Ross and Emily or arguably like mostly Ross and then Emily and other characters kind of come in and out of it. But Rachel isn't as much a part of that until the very end. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it makes me, makes me kind of think of the long form improv herald structure and just sort of mm. this idea at the end where you're kind of pulling all these scenes together and it's like, oh, well, of course that character from scene A knows the character from scene C, you know, and like you find out that everyone is like related and mm. in love with each other because what is interesting about watching Rachel have a relationship with somebody outside of the group, you know, like right. it's more interesting if you have all these incestual relationships you know (laughs) in the friend group totally (laughs) yeah and that's what the show is focused on obviously is the friends the six the six so yeah it's interesting because I was kind of like what's Rachel been up to this whole time but yeah (laughs) totally so do we want to dive into any favorite jokes from the episode I wrote down when Emily calls Ross at the at the first scene and he's mm-hmm. so excited that he's like running around the apartment and he hands <laughs> oh my God. a lamp. Yes, I yeah. wrote that down too. That was amazing. I and actually I, replayed that like three times because like I think I looked away because I'm like taking notes and then I just look back and Chandler's like holding this lamp. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell? And I was what like, wait, this? what just happened? And I had to like, yeah. And I want to know, I, I like part of me, I mean, having watched David Schwimmer throughout all of this and his other stuff like he's such a fine actor that part of me is curious if like he improvised that on the spot or if or if he had that was either written in or like directed or directed of some sort that he would give a friend what something (laughs) random but he's just so flustered he literally like walks to it picks it up and hands it to Chandler and Chandler's like (laughs) What? And I love that it's not even, it's not a thing. The yeah. camera doesn't zoom in on Chandler's expression, totally. really. Like, you just see everyone. Like, that's just, that feels like such a great kind of almost partial throwaway joke. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally one that, like, if you are not paying close attention, you can just pass by it. I love that yeah. joke, too. That was hilarious. I thought the whole eight ball bit was hilarious and just how... Oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> he asked, like, this really important question and uh, about... Was it about Emily or Rachel? Now I'm drawing a blank. Should he stop seeing Rachel, right? And then the eight ball goes, ask again later, <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> That whole scene was so funny. So then he like does it multiple times. He's like freaking out. Yeah. He's in this really intense energy. It keeps saying, he's like, this thing's broken. And then Monica, and, and this was a fun moment too, because like unknown to them, like unknown to the rest of the friends that like Monica and Chandler are sleeping together. Right. Monica's like, cause they're kind of in a fight. Monica's like, let me try it. And then she's like, will Chandler have sex tonight? And then it says, don't count on it. And she's like, <laughs> it's working just fine. What did she say? Something like that. She's like, looks like it works to me or whatever. Something like that. Well, and that I love hilarious. that because that, that they joke about Chandler's lack of relationships in general. Totally. And right. so it totally works as just a dig at, the, at their friend. But exactly. it makes it obviously even better because we know that they yeah, are sleeping together. It works on multiple levels. And that was just like a really fun joke that again, like tied those kind of like worked for both of those storylines. And then at the end, Ross is like, 
you know, taking the eight ball apart. <laughs> oh my gosh, totally. it doesn't work for him. You know? Totally. I mean, and I've been obsessed with head jokes lately when there's just kind of like a throwaway joke in the beginning of the scene that has nothing to do with like what comes next in the scene. And that was one of my favorite ones where the scene opens and Ross is just like taking apart the magic eight ball because like this is how much he's like devolved and like how frustrated he is. That was hysterical. I love that. I love the, in the conversation between Joey and Phoebe, when he's like trying to make all these points and he says the thing about Santa not being real and, and Phoebe's like, wait, just, just so you know, just, just so we're talking about the same thing, uh, what you're talking about Santa is, and he's like, oh, that Santa's not real. She's like, oh yeah, of course, of course. And then her reaction (laughs) is such shock. Oh my God. She just turns away in her eyes. She's just like <gasps> devastated, just destroyed. That was so, so good, incredible. Yeah, and that was like what I also started writing down because I've been talking about it, but not like remembering them all. I've been writing down all the like really great buttons, like the final joke on all the scenes, and that was like a great one. That was like, mm-hmm. the, I guess not of the cold open, but of the first scene and after the cold open. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, the cold opens uh, button was Chandler running in expecting that he's going to be having sex with monica he like opens the door flipping a bottle of champagne sees that all of his friends are there and is just like our company switched to wrinkle free wax paper (laughs) fax paper but yes oh fax paper (laughs) but yes yes So 90s. Our company wrinkle free fax paper. Also, what is wrinkle free fax paper? Is there like a wrinkle, non wrinkle free? Anyway, wrinkle plus. Yeah, it's so, (laughs) so stupid. Such a like dumb made up thing is hilarious. Of course, we have to talk about Chandler's dance. Mm -hmm. In terms Mm -hmm. of physical comedy, the dance that he makes when he's like, because if it was me and I had just found, and of course they have, I think Rachel's there. If I had just found out that it was me that was the best sex of your life, I'd be doing this. And he proceeds to do like <laughs> the most unsexy, ridiculous victory dance ever. And it's just like so much. Now, I was trying to remember because that Chandler doing that dance happens throughout the series. Mm. And I was trying to remember if that, or at least I remember that it does, but I was trying to remember if that was the first time we've ever seen that, or if he's done his like awkward victory dance before. I don't know. Um, That would be a really good question. Attentive listeners, if you are a hardcore Friends watcher, write in and let us know if that, (laughs) if season five is the first time we see Chandler's awkward victory dance or if we've seen it somewhere else before. Oh, yes. And let's not forget Monica imitates Chandler. So almost even, almost even even better. Almost even funnier. (laughs) Her making fun of him and then. Because he's like, oh, you know, Joey's not home. Why don't we, whatever. And she's like, I'm not really in the mood. And, or she's like, I don't think so. And he's like, why? And she just like does the dance. <laughs> and then I love the button on that scene when he, there's just a silence. And he's like, what's your point? <laughs> it's just so funny. I think Joey at the telethon when he starts fighting with that guy in the background while it's live. That hilarious. Make, that makes me laugh so hard. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, that was a great bit of physical comedy for sure. And just that it's like happening in the background. <laughs> and it had a so good funny. three beat too, because it was like them sort of fighting, 
yeah. the more aggressive fighting and Joey falling to the ground. And yes. then just his arm comes up as he grabs <laughs> the dude and pulls him down. Yes. So good. Also, I mean, of course, just in the Phoebe and Joey plotline, like the fact that Phoebe basically gets mad every time that she feels good is hilarious <laughs> and like classic, like clown logic and just like clown humor, humor to me. So like, you know, it, it finally... Well, first she's telling the story. She's like, I tried to do a selfless deed and like go, you know, sweep my neighbor's stairs or whatever, but he caught me and he force fed me cider and cookies and I felt so good. I'm so mad at him, (laughs) that jackass or whatever, which is hilarious. And then like, of course it culminates and she's like, okay, I'm going to donate 200 bucks to PBS, even though I hate PBS, it won't make me feel good at all. But it's good for that, you know, she's like finally figured out like the perfect like selfless good deed. And then that ends up being the thing that like gets Joey on TV, which is what he wanted this whole time. And she's like, oh, my God, that makes me feel so good. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And just like her getting really angry every time she feels good, I thought was like so funny and fun. Um, Another head joke, too, that I loved was when Chandler comes into his apartment and the chicken and the duck are watching the cooking channel. (laughs) And he's just like, oh my God, no, what did I tell you guys? (laughs) Turn that off. He's like so scandalized. It's so cute. Emerald or whatever his name is. Yeah. Like the quote that you hear is, you just put the whole duck in there. And that's when, (laughs) that's when Chandler's like jumping over the couch to grab them. Oh my God, no. (laughs) so funny that was a really funny head joke too that's just like a throw like a really funny throwaway joke that's then like not connected to the rest of the scene yeah um another type of joke that I've been really enjoying catching in comedies lately when it happens it's kind of subtle so see if you like agree with me on this one but when a joke comes up between two characters and it's clear that it's like a recurring joke or it's like an in-joke or it's in context between those two characters, but you, the audience, don't necessarily have any idea what they're talking about, but it's still kind of like a fun and delightful joke. And the example in this episode was Joey walks in in the first scene, not the cold open, but in the first um, scene in Act One, and Chandler's just like, vomit talks, vomit talks, ah, 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 vomit talks, vomit talks and like that's clearly like something (laughs) yes and we don't learn exactly what happened but I think we need all we need to know for it to be funny you know and Joey's like don't worry I got it dry cleaned and then (laughs) Monica plays the voice of the audience and she's like what and she like starts to ask and she's like you know what yeah (laughs) I'm good on that how how are you doing Joey (laughs) yeah she's like I'm good on I don't let's just leave that one yeah I loved that too I loved that too something else I wrote down is so at the beginning I forget how they bring it up but Monica is talking about her secret boyfriend or whatever or they're they're grilling her about it Rachel is and so Monica just is like oh it's someone from work it's a Mm -hmm. waiter and Rachel knows who she's talking about and she describes the, this waiter as a non-threatening Ray Liotta. Yeah. <laughs> which I love Hilarious. because Ray Liotta is only threatening to me, like his face. <laughs> and I, and then I just Googled Ray Liotta 1998 and oh. every single picture, whether it's paparazzi, whether it's red carpet, every single picture of him looks like the picture you take before the really good picture. 
Like, you know, when you're like, oh, I'm going to get into position and smile. It's that picture. But that's what he looks like in every picture. It's just kind of, he's not like caught in the camera. He's just not ready. But that's just how his face looks. But he just kind of, he just kind of looks like a serial killer. That's so funny. I, so I was looking up Ray Liotta just to, because I, you know, sort of know who he is, but I, I wanted a refresher last night but then it's a good idea to look up Ray Liotta 1998 because obviously he's much older now than he was in 1998 sure, right I don't know if you guys know that but um, <laughs> is that how time works but <laughs> I wonder if he had a manager or a publicist or someone that was like never smile because like that's kind of what these 1998 photos look like they just kind of look like he's not like they kind of just look like blank like he's not really like making any expression so I'm like is this when Botox was first invented mm. or there's a picture with him and Don Cheeto and Don Cheeto looks the exact same as he does now and Ray Liotta looks like a young serial killer and it's just (laughs) totally I was like wow this picture is confusing to my timeline brain that's really funny but yeah it's like what would Ray Liotta look like if he like smiled and was a chill guy instead of this like super intense I mean I'm sure he's perfectly nice in real life I mean I don't know maybe he's not this had to be prime uh Goodfellas time right that's a 90s movie Ooh, what year did that come out let's find out 1990 so yeah I mean it was in that era so it was you know not super fresh but definitely not not super old either yeah that's so funny I love how Rachel just like fills in the blanks like you know Monica doesn't necessarily say any of those things but (laughs) she's like Rachel's like please because you know Monica's they leave so much to the imagination in that cold open which is why it's really fun Rachel's like oh my god what are you doing and she's like I was taking a nap and she's like since when do you nap in that position and it's just (laughs) up to your imagination like what position Rachel found her in and she's like oh please tell me you're waiting for a guy and it's like Monica hasn't even thought to make that excuse for whatever reason (laughs) right and she's like yes I was waiting for a guy I was waiting for a guy from work I'm seeing a guy from work (laughs) which is so funny she like just occurs to her that she can just say she's dating someone and that's like fine she's allowed to do that so funny let's see I also loved when in the scene where like Monica and Chandler kind of reconcile from their little tiff or whatever Chandler is like saying all this like really nice and sweet stuff or whatever and he's also being like kind of cheesy and he's like we're too good we owe it to sex which just reminds me in in episode one he's like trying to convince monica to have sex in the honeymoon suite with him oh and he's yeah like, the right. room expects sex all the other honeymoon <laughs> suites will make fun of it room. <laughs> <laughs> right and so like he's kind of using that same like tactic in a weird way he's like we owe it to sex like this is bigger than us which is just like really funny and once again I think Monica's like obviously pretty receptive to his silly arguments because like she's just looking for any excuse to forgive him you know yeah and then as he carries her out in a big sweeping romantic gesture he smacks her head on the door yeah I love That was so funny. Yeah, totally. And then I did want to also mention, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the very, like, not even the last scene, but like the tag as the credits are going is a classic clown scene. It's all physical comedy. It's like a, well, it's almost a silent scene. And it's like set to classical music, which is like (laughs) very clown. And it's them like one by one sneaking out of the, what, bathroom or like supply closet at Central Perk and, and the coffee 
coffee shop after clearly having just had like crazy secret like sex in the closet which is just (laughs) so funny and that I just like that brought me so much joy and it was just so clowny I loved it yeah hilarious Monica's hair is all best and yeah Chandler's like hat shirt is yeah half off and shoulder yeah they both have their different ways that they're kind of like sneaking (laughs) out and then they're just like go back to like acting super casual on the couches or whatever it's just it's so good so good something I thought was just a really great Monica character moment was when Monica comes into the boys apartment and asks for the broiling pan that she let the boys borrow mm-hmm. and they were like oh we used that when the duck was throwing up worms or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also just like what happened there yeah <laughs> it's but- so funny but her response is just matter-of-factly say yeah. the page and article of the catalog that it came from. And he's like, yeah. great, it'll come in four to six weeks. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That was great. It was, yeah, it was great character building all around and just like world building of the relationship with between all the friends too. Yeah. Right. And like the, the fact that she would have that memorized. Yeah, of course. That's very Monica. And that mind, Chandler's... Yeah, and that Chandler's response would just be like, great, I'm ordering it now. Right, right, totally. That's clearly not the first time they've had like a similar interaction to that once again. And it was actually kind of fun to have like an interaction between them that wasn't part of their like romantic relationship or whatever. It was a more like normal, even though there was no one else there, it was like a more normal, just like friend group interaction or whatever. And then they got into their own stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Anything else we want to touch on? I think we're all wrung out on that one. All right. Well, my favorite part where we discuss who are you in this episode? What character did you resonate with the most in this episode? Alana, you are our guest. Let's start with you. I wrote that I think I was Phoebe believing in the eight ball, the power of the eight ball, (laughs) because Phoebe makes this comment that's just basically like, yes, like whatever the eight ball says, that that is it. And I think sometimes I, uh, you know, can definitely believe in the power of something as random as like an eight ball answer or, you know, seeing like a number sequence on my phone or something and attaching meaning to it. So I, I think that, that. that's who I was in this episode. I'm right there with you, girl. Give me all the like <laughs> woo. Give me yeah. all the woo. I love that. Yeah, Phoebe is the best. That's awesome. How about you, Heather? I resonated with Monica in the way that she responds to Chandler's gloaty, egoy, whatever. She just like shuts down. And I definitely resonate to the like, you know what? Great. This is over. I'm done. Can't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Nope. I'm not playing this game. You know, when 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 that kind of energy happens, I'm like, no, I'm not giving you that. Yeah. I right. love that. And he gets so like, he's really not being very Chandlery. You know, he gets, he's yeah. being, being kind of like broy, you know, and she's just like, no, I'm done. Anyway, yeah. I love that. That's great. What about you, I had, a, I had a hard time with this one, actually. And to be honest, this is the segment that when I was sitting down to record, I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot to like pick something for this when I was doing my homework yesterday. But it was kind of a tough choice because I actually do resonate with a lot of, I resonate with a lot of what was going on with Phoebe and even some of what was going on with Joey and maybe even some of what was going on with Chandler and or Monica. I mean, I don't know. There was a wide variety, but I'm actually going to make a controversial pick 
this time and say that I think I was Emily not any of the horrible things about mm -hmm. Emily because Emily is a real wet blanket but every (laughs) single time they showed Emily in this episode she was in bed (laughs) she's just in bed in like her pajamas or like a baggy t-shirt and I was like (laughs) I feel you girl like I don't know if they were just trying to like really show like there's a time difference between these two places Mm. or whatever but I do love the idea that like they just brought that actress in put her in a bed and shot 15 minutes at the most worth of shots for her and they're like and you're done and I was like yep I think that's probably me I love that (laughs) that's great all right well let's take a quick break and then we'll move on to the food Right. Well, welcome back. Now we are going to discuss snacks. Um, food. Food. Alana, tell us about your feelings when it comes to cooking. How comfortable are you in the kitchen? You know, I would say I am medium, maybe a little bit higher medium when it comes to cooking. Um, I kind of cook a lot. Recently, I haven't been doing much because just tired after going back to work. But you know, my sisters and I all cook. I'm not as strong. My youngest sister is a really good cook and I'm, she's also a teacher and I'm like, you should do culinary school. (laughs) Like during the summer. Yeah. I feel fairly comfortable with cooking. I try to do a lot more plant-based stuff. So when it comes to meat and things like that, I I can do it, but I'm not as strong as say, like Mm -hmm. trying to make something vegan. Do you normally eat like eggs and dairy or you try to do like totally plant-based or I'm just curious. I am totally not strict at all. Um, I go in and out of vegan, but I I would say in terms of, I've tried to kick dairy out as much as possible, but I still Mm -hmm. definitely eat cheese and meat. I've been eating more meat and seafood and that's just what it is. Yeah, totally. So good. And you know, California, West coast, We've got good food, good um, produce. Mm -hmm. So absolutely love it all. Love that. Awesome. Zoe, tell us about this recipe. And I think I want some specific details on the inspiration of the recipe. Yes. Well, this was actually a little bit of a tougher episode because it didn't have any super clear like food jokes. As we did discuss, there was the one joke with the birds watching the cooking channel. And then then there were also just a couple other really minor food references. At one point, they are sitting around and it looks like they're making cookies like Monica has a big bowl of cookie dough and like Phoebe's kind of just eating the cookie dough or just kind of playing with it in her hand and they have like a tray there but they don't really do much with it in one of the first scenes there's like a big tray of fruit in the background that looks like it has a lot of pineapple and grapes and just random stuff like that which it's not quite a pet peeve but it's almost like just more of an inside joke with myself with sitcoms when there's always like huge displays of fruit or like a bowl with 35 apples in it (laughs) 
you're like, that's not, what are you going to do with that? You're not going to eat that, you know? And the funny thing about like making a recipe kind of correspond with each episode is like the show is really not about food. You know, I mean, of course, occasionally it is, it comes up, but it's really not super food centric. And then um, later there's a scene with, I think just the girls where I think Monica's bringing out a gigantic bowl of potato chips that she just kind of sets on the table and then like no one touches it. No one eats it. Which again, also goes back to like, these girls, these are not girls that snack. Look at them. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Which I know some people have really fast metabolisms, so no shade. But yeah, and it it is funny too, because I think it's kind of a thing in a particular style of show or sitcom where it's like, a lot of times there's props just so they kind of have something to do or something to hold Mm. or so they're not quite like talking heads or whatever. Right. You know, someone will just hand someone a lamp. I mean, that that was more of like a, a really humorous thing. But I think sometimes they just have something that they're doing that doesn't necessarily, they're not really doing much with it. It's just kind mm-hmm. of it's, it's like, it, well, it's like, look at these normal humans being right. normal humans in time and space, <laughs> you know, versus like Monica has her laundry basket or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's like trying to show that like, they're not all just sitting around someone's apartment, which is exactly right. what they're doing, but look, yeah. they're cookies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so basically I had a little bit of a harder time uh, with the inspiration on this one, but I went with kind kind of that idea, like the big bowl of potato chips inspired me. And then kind of just the idea of like the fruit platter from the beginning. So that was, those were kind of the little nuggets of inspiration. And then I went with a cream cheese based dip, like a dip for chip, like a chip dip, a dip for chips. A chip dip? Three times fast. Oh, a chip dip. What kind Um, of, But so it's a dip, but like for what kind of vehicle? I would say maybe like a chip. Oh, a chip dip. Or any kind of chip-like food. <laughs> like a dip for chips. Yes, that's it. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what I ended up going with is uh, a chip dip, I guess is what we're calling it now. <laughs> so basically the recipe is a um, ch- pineapple chipotle dip. The process is you broil the pineapple, which you could also grill or something like that. Mm. You basically just like char the pineapple a little bit. So it gives it a little bit of that kind of roasty, charry flavor. And then chop that up and mix it in with some softened cream cheese and also add chipotle, the chipotle peppers in adobo sauce and um, cilantro and some lime zest and scallions. And that's pretty much it. And then chill that for a little bit. So it just gets a little bit more set and then serve that with, I don't know, maybe like a chip or Or just your favorite dipper, whatever you like to dip. I think it would actually be good with like veggies or something like that. I was thinking that too. I only had chips, but you would need um, like a, a, a strong vegetable. Yeah. Maybe like a baby carrot. Maybe yeah. tris- Triscuits. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Mm. We did have this as part of kind of a, you know, sometimes when it's hot in summer, we just do kind of like a snack plate, like a cheese plate or snack plate dinner um, where we do like cheese and maybe some like meats if we have cold cuts or whatever and crackers and veggies or whatever we have. And I think I definitely did some Triscuits with this dip and it was really tasty. Zoe, did you have this recipe before the episode or did you make this recipe based on inspiration from the episode yeah I made up the recipe based on the inspiration from the episode that is a really cool Thanks. I did not I did not know that's yeah really cool. 
thanks. I mean, I looked at a couple of like dip recipes to just kind of see, but yeah, I wanted to do, I had, you know, I've had a couple of dips this summer, dipped a few chips this summer, (laughs) had a couple of like picnics or barbecues or whatever. I really like the dips that are kind of like that cream cheese base, especially with like Mm -hmm. a salty potato chip. Mm -hmm. It's just really satisfying. And I find, I find myself at at the party just kind of standing directly over the dip and just shoveling it in my mouth. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, once I decided I wanted to do something like for chips and maybe with fruit, I just kind of came up with the idea for this recipe. Well, I thought it was delicious. It hit all the notes, spicy, sweet texture wise. There was crunch. There was Mm, creaminess, lots of herbs. Bravo, bravo. And I think I texted you guys earlier to say I couldn't get my hands on the Chipotle. So I had some Taco Bell packets of sauce that had Chipotle in them. And so I love that. Put that in. I was like, what in this house tastes like Chipotle? Like, I know what it tastes like. Like, yeah, totally. Made, and then I was like, oh my God, these oh Taco my God, Bell. I love that so much. It's also amazing because we have actually discussed Taco Bell hot sauce on this podcast already. Oh, so good. Um, my favorite flavor is hot, but it looked Me like you too. had some Me too. Hot, yeah, the hot is the best. Is that what you used or what? Because it looked like you had packets. What I like... used, is it Diablo or Diablo? I don't know if it's I the masculine it or the... feminine. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the, the most hot. Yes. Yeah. So there like... was spice, but I definitely had the chipotle and adobo flavors that. in there. But I do prefer hot, but this the yeah. Diablo worked well with this recipe. I love that. So let's back up. We like to ask, what was your first impression of the recipe or like initial thoughts before you made it? Yeah, my first impression is I love pineapple in salsas and dips. So I thought mm-hmm. this is going to be really good. Awesome. Um, yeah, I love chips and I love tortilla chips and dips. Yeah, so totally. I think yeah, I especially awesome. requested this one. I was like, this one looks vegetarian. I want to totally, <laughs> totally. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And then um, how many packets did you end up using, if I can ask? I only used three mm-hmm. and I also only used four ounces of the cream cheese. I've, I okay, have yeah. halved it because yeah. I knew it was just going to be me eating it. Totally. And that was smart. <laughs> I will probably use the cream cheese like in a muffin recipe or something. Yeah, you know? totally. It's perfect. So it was a nice awesome. little midday snack slash meal for me I love that and you sent you sent a pic and you had put some like fresh pineapple and cilantro and scallions on top and it yes. looked really beautiful Ooh. which I love that I love those presentation details so <laughs> a you. plus for you good job Yay. Heather what was your experience like or did you have any first impressions and how did it go for you Yeah. So my first impression was being super intrigued and excited. I have made dips before, but I don't make dips on the regular. Mm -hmm. And often when we are doing family gatherings and having, are going to be snacking, we'll get a thing of sour cream and then those packets of powder flavors or whatever, and put that in to get, to do like a sour cream and onion kind of dip or whatever, just because it's easy. Yeah, totally. And, or we've even bought, I think, Philadelphia brand cream cheese has dips that they make. So I think that's what I was gorging myself on earlier this summer. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're really great. So I was excited to sort of make my own. 
Alana, I agree. I love pineapple in salsas, but I don't ever think about it. I guess mm-hmm. if I'm at a restaurant and they have like a pineapple salsa, I'm like, oh, yes, please. Yes. But I don't think of combining pineapple or combining those flavors regularly. Mm-hmm. And so I was super intrigued by it. And then as I was making it, my first thought was, wait, I don't have enough cream cheese for everything. Because I like mm-hmm. cut everything up and had all of my pieces scattered and was like, wait, I have a huge, this huge pile of pineapple and this huge pile of herbs and stuff, but not enough cream cheese. And then once I mixed it all together, it was perfect. And love each, that each bite, you get the perfect mix of everything. Nice. What I really loved about it is I think in some past recipes, I've commented that I was missing something like, oh, mm. there could be a little bit of whatever. And I think with right. this recipe, I think you really, you hit everything really well. You've got the spiciness from the chipotle peppers as you're fist pumping the world. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sorry. that. Go on. Um, I'm no, just you've acting got cool like a professional. <laughs> casual. <laughs> You're just chandlering this moment. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. So you have the perfect mix of the spiciness from the peppers, but then the creaminess from the cream cheese really balances it. Nice. And then you've got the sweetness from the pineapples, but then it, it's not too sweet because it's got that little bit of that smoky char. Mm-hmm. And the lime zest just really brings it all together with that brightness. Yeah. And yeah, it just it it was really good. Yay. I ate it yesterday right when I made it. Mm-hmm. You told you said to chill it and I was like, I'm not gonna chill it. Yeah. I didn't tell yeah. Mine either. Yeah, I yeah. Think about that. It was so good. I think maybe it could be yeah. chilled to be cool. To be mm-hmm. cooler in temperature. Right, right. But I think it's nice that it's a little soft. Yeah. And and the pineapple's a little warm. I don't know. Something about that was kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. When I was making it, I was like, oh, I feel like this needs to be chilled so that it like sets a little bit more. And then, I don't know. I, I guess I also think in my mind, a creamy dip is cold. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of just more what I was like expecting and especially because you char the pineapple and let the cream cheese soften and then make it 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 ends up being a little bit of course warm but yeah I mean of course you can totally eat it warm it's interesting because I was almost thinking about I mean you could also make a salsa with like a lot of these really similar ingredients but I kind of thought maybe a cream cheese based dip I don't know it just felt a little bit more 90s to me it felt a little bit more like maybe something they might eat versus something a little bit more of like a Mexican direction and yeah I kind of like with the charred pineapple um, and then like the smokiness of the chipotle that was one of the kind of flavor inspirations that like sparked the rest of, of the recipe I'm so happy that you guys liked it and that it worked out yeah wow. those those chipotle peppers Alana I don't know if you've ever cooked with them before that was my first experience with them before mm. and I mean I, was I curious love about that yeah I love adding spices to things, whether it's, you know, chipotle powder or um, cayenne pepper or smoked paprika or whatever. And I I love that flavor that it brings. And I thought that using the peppers itself and some of the sauce, the adobo sauce that they're in really gives that kick without a lot. You don't have to put in a lot. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I love those. It just comes in like a little can in usually like the Mexican or the Latin American foods aisle of any well-stocked grocery store, a little can of like Chipotle and adobo. And then it goes a a long way. So I, you know, I will put the rest in a jar and just keep it in my refrigerator and it lasts 
for quite some time. So that's a good thing to have on hand. And listeners, you can also stock up next time you go to Taco Bell on the Diablo (laughs) Chipotle sauce packets and substitute that in all your Chipotle needs. I love that. (laughs) Very resourceful. And I love that it worked. And yeah, I just love everything about it. And next, I'll talk about how I use like the pizza little packets of Parmesan in my pesto. Oh my gosh. I have done that before. Genius. I love that. (laughs) Absolutely. It's called being thrifty or being resourceful, you guys. Come Look, on. Um, Anna's starting a podcast about it. <laughs> and the first guest guest should be my father because he brings home little packets oh of God. crushed red peppers from pizza places. Yes. He brings them home and he undoes them all and puts them into his spice container of crushed red pepper oh i was literally about to say the exact same like when you started talking about that i was like oh i just because they comes in like a, a little plastic ramekin if you get pizza or something mm-hmm. i just recently found one floating around my kitchen and just dumped it into my red pepper flake but see that's, un- that's unintentional right instead <laughs> of like purposely like stockpiling them for that Rich Kellogg actively seeks out that's crushed hilarious. red pepper and adds them to his stock which god bless him love the man yeah, yeah. Love that resourcefulness. I love that. Those packets are just the perfect serving, though. If he keeps them just as is, it's the perfect serving. Very true. I mean, (laughs) man loves his red pepper flakes. So it's not the perfect serving for him. He needs hefty (laughs) serving. (laughs) He needs to put them all in a big jar and then go from there. I love that. That's hilarious. An interesting part of this recipe was broiling the Mm -hmm. pineapple. And I was actually a little nervous about that because... The way that my oven's broiler is, is it's underneath yep. the oven. Mm-hmm. And so it's just fire. Yeah. You have a gas, you must have a gas oven, right? Yes, I yeah. guess I do. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's just fire and we use it all the time, but yeah. you know, you put something in there for moments. I mean, like I just, I'll lay on the floor on my belly watching yeah. a bread, you know, so it doesn't light on fire or whatever, or if I'm melting cheese or something. I'm sorry. That. You'll lay on your belly on the floor one more time. Yeah, I'll lay on my belly on the floor because that's, it's okay. like, great. That's how <laughs> low the oven is. No, I love it. I'm just love picturing you in your kitchen laying on the floor watching your food broil. I mean, it's true. When things are in the broiler, you really need to keep an eye on it. So, yeah. okay. Just, I just did, didn't, couldn't just let that one fly by. Continue. Let's normalize laying on the floors of our kitchen watching <laughs> our food broil. Okay? I just love the idea that your kitchen floor is clean enough to do that. Oh, honestly. it's not. Like, mad respect. Okay. Well, then good for you, even more so. Yeah. Be I mean, brave. Be whatever. bold. Get on the floor. <laughs> no one's watching. Broil like no one's watching. <laughs> Put that on a t shirt. Merch idea. Love yeah. that. <laughs> Anyway, so that's what I was doing, but I was nervous because I was just expect in the recipe, you say 10 to 15 minutes, but to watch it. And so I was nervous because I was afraid that I was going to light the pineapple on fire and Mm -hmm. I only had the pineapple that was there and didn't want to have to start over. Right. But it actually did take that amount of time. Yeah. I was wondering if I should have put parchment paper or a mm. liner on my tray or not. Mm-hmm. I didn't because the recipe didn't say to. And I also knew mm-hmm. how close to fire it was going to be. And I didn't want to mm-hmm. light the paper on fire. 
but I did have not a big issue, but it, it did. Yeah. The pineapple did stick to the pan a little bit as I was scraping it off. Yeah. So I was curious what your thoughts on that were. Great question. And um, just to kind of touch on all of what you just mentioned, I was actually surprised when testing this recipe at how long it took too. I was thinking like maybe five minutes, but there just still really wasn't much color. And I really wanted to get like a good char because I just wanted there to be a good char on one side of the pineapple and that's it. Not having to worry about flipping it over or anything like that. But yeah, I was, I was surprised at how long it took. So that I'm glad to hear that. I guess my timing was pretty accurate for you as well. I did use parchment paper. I would actually probably recommend foil, I think in this situation, Mm -hmm. because I did use parchment paper, which is what I normally use. It's just my go-to for any time I really bake, because mostly I just don't want to clean my pan ever. So I just want to put something in between. But the paper did get super black and charred before the pineapple and like it ended up being fine it didn't like hurt the pineapple in in any way but I would probably use foil next time so that's probably what I would suggest um I also wanted to touch on because we kind of talked about this via text what I ended up using for the pineapple in the recipe is a container of the pre-cut fresh pineapple from like Mm -hmm. the grab and go section you could Mm -hmm. of course totally grab a full pineapple and cut that up but that is another kind of shortcut to make it a little bit just quicker and easier yeah I used um canned rings of pineapple and just kind of chopped them up oh really and that worked and that worked well also yeah it worked fine yeah oh that's great okay great awesome yeah that was my question was how many cans is two cups of pineapple right and then you suggested the grab and go which I was like oh that makes so much sense because the old my (laughs) only thoughts were a whole pineapple do I feel like chopping that up or canned right and yeah so that was that was a great great hack Nice. Yeah. Good tip. <laughs> Another time saver. Uh, I love that you used canned though, Alana, and that worked well too. So that's great to know. You just used, I'm guessing one can. This one can. Yeah. yeah I perfect. think I have some extra in the the fridge as well, but yeah, yeah. I think the grab and go mm-hmm. fresh pineapple yeah. would make it even better than totally. it was too. Cool. So what do you think in terms of will it left over? How was this the next day? I know Alana, you made a small batch so that you probably didn't have the chance to try it out later. I just made a half of the recipe and I think if I put it out, you know, it would go fast because it went, the first half went fast for me and the dog was like standing under me the whole time. And I like, Mm -hmm. let him lick the bowl, you know, at the end. He loved it too. Nice. Oh, good. (laughs) Approved. I love it. Pups approved. And how about you, Heather? Did you get a chance to try it the next day? Yeah, I had it today and it was awesome. I think I would let it soften a little bit because mm-hmm. I was breaking all my chips. Yeah, and so a tough chip. Yeah, but it was it felt spicier. Like the mm-hmm. chipotle had kind of let off some of its extra spices, so the flavors really melded together even more. So I yeah, I would definitely say it does leftover for sure. If it survives through the end of the party. (laughs) If it survives the day, it will be great. The next day, I think the flavors do melt. And I had this the next day also, and it was great. And another question is, would you make again? Absolutely. Definitely. Awesome. And this is a really easy thing that you could make a big batch of too, for a larger party. It's not, there's not a, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward and like simple and quick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I wanted to make a vegan version, if I just omitted the cream cheese or if I use like a vegan cream cheese, totally throw it in a food processor would be really good too with all those ingredients. Totally. Yeah. 
That's so funny because I actually had a dream that I think Heather had made like a version with tofu, but like <laughs> not blended it. I don't know what my dream. I was like, what are you? You're just eating like a vegetable stir fry. I mean, in my dream, it was definitely like something different. But yes, you could definitely make a dairy free version with like a vegan cream cheese or like a cashew no, yeah. or something or whatever. So. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I think we're pretty much ready to wrap up. Yeah. Alana, would you like to share anything that you're up to or anywhere people can maybe find you on the internet or plug anything? Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I am on LinkedIn. I think my profile is public. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And right now I am a kind of waiting for COVID to be over. Our community playhouse, Kendall Community Players, is going to be putting on a chorus line at some point in the future. And Amazing. I am going to be playing Sheila. Awesome. So stay tuned for that. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. We loved having you. Yeah. Um, you can find us on the internet. We are on Instagram at Friends with Food Pod. We are on Twitter at Friends W Food Pod. Um, our website is friendswithfoodpod.com. And then our email is friendswithfoodpod at gmail.com. And feel free to write in with any questions or comments or thoughts or impressions about food or friends or comedy or whatever um, anything that we got wrong during the episode please mm-hmm. let us know in a respectful <laughs> and kind <Yeah>. manner <laughs> find us um, on any of the social medias or yeah us an email We'd you know feel you. feel free to write us a five-star review on apple podcast please. if you are in the mood to do so and if you enjoy the show tell your friends also want to give a shout out our original music is by Elliot Friesen. Our art is by Chloe Kendall. If you are watching along with us, next episode, we will be covering season five, episode five, the one with the kips. And I think that's about it for us. We are your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Heather. Now go find some friends. And make them some food. like you a lot but i don't think we need to spend like a long time talking about our this is the alana podcast <laughs> okay that's the williams and simone Sonoma, williams and simone nope never mind <laughs> joke's uh, over zoe we're talking shit about you <laughs> zoe frozen she looks so mad about Am I it frozen or can you guys still hear me you you had like resting bitch okay face. It was- i was doing the ray liotta i'm gonna call resting bitch face ray, ray liotta, liotta face. face from now on I love that. You guys, that's so good. Oh, wait, a chip dip?